Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. Not the type of people. Today, today it rained in LA, which means nobody can drive, which it always confuses me when that happens because living out here for 15 years, people always say, everyone's a transplant. Everyone came from Chicago or like we're from New Jersey and my guest today is from New Jersey. Everyone says they're transplants. So that would mean if we transplant here, we grew up in the rain, we should be able to rain, right? We should be out driving the rain. We should. I think it's a bunch of crap and I just think people were lazy and it was a mess. I looked I looked in like the map questions. You go like 13 miles somewhere today. It took like an hour. So anyway, we have a great show today. We have a guest. It's funny, a guy I, who went to my college who I've been friends with on Facebook named Stu Mark who that's a great show. Listen to it on, uh, if you go to TuneIn Radio, WLFR Radio, that's Stockton Radio, at every uh, Tuesday, 5 o'clock p.m. my time, that means 8 o'clock Eastern time, he sent me a message. He goes, hey, I have a guest for you. And I guess he knew her growing up, and or he has friends of hers, and he said, you know, we should check it out. And I went, and she has a great resume. She's been act- She's an actor. She's a, you're a writer. You're a producer. It's a, it's everything. It's Jillian. I, I've got it right. Arminante. See, yes. Jillian Arminante. It's Italian. And I'm from New Jersey as well. Yeah, you know, you, you, you grew up in, pa- you, you were born in Patterson. I was born in Patterson. But then you grew up in Wyckoff. Uh, Wyckoff, yeah. No, no, is, is that Bergen County? Is that? It's Bergen County, yeah. Now, it's up there. Okay, now, so it's close, sort of close to New York? Yeah, New York State, you know, Mawa, and then New York State. Now, as a kid, did you always want, how'd you get into this, this field? Because you also, you do, the, I mean, you do a lot of stuff. You do theater, you do tea, I mean, you have a, I believe it's the the kittens, that's a. Yeah, uh, kittens in a cage. That, that's, you're, you're direct and you wrote that, and, and that's a, a, like a web series, or what is that? Yeah, it's crazy, because we cut it as a feature, so it's playing all these festivals, but um, then we also cut it up and made it a web series, so it's seven 20-minute episodes as well, um, which was based on the play by Kelleen Conway Blanchard of at Annex Theater Seattle. Okay, so and I know I know you were just up in Seattle doing something, I believe. I yeah, I spent eight years doing theater in Seattle. So how did this all start? You're a kid in New Jersey, and it's like anything. Like I mean, when you grow up in New Jersey, I mean, you you're around a lot of media. I mean, as we see New York, I was more influenced by Philadelphia. But there's there's plays, there's everything. Was your family were they were they entertainers or were they into it or how did this happen? I come from a long line of chemical engineers. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I happen to grow up maybe 16 miles out of Manhattan in the suburbs. And a lot of the people in my town were all the, you know, chorus people who were hoofed on Broadway. I mean, we had, uh, you know, people who were in West Side Story, people were in Hello, Dolly. And they, once they started having kids, started forming these summer programs. And we would do the summer programs and learn how to hoof all the musicals. And once I got that bug, I just really wanted to do nothing else but that. And so I did all that in high school and whatnot and uh, studied in London and, and I by accident ended up in Seattle at the time when Seattle was hitting that wave of, you know, just theater and droves. It was right after the Chicago Steppenwolf wave. And uh, I went out there and rolled up my sleeves. We had a 2,800 square foot loft and we, we made 24 original plays a year. See, that's pretty cool. I, I think it was, uh, is either Brian Finney, you know him? Sure. Well, Finney was on my show. I think he was out of Seattle too, wasn't he? Like, cause you guys. First time I met Finney, he was buck naked, okay. painted in blue, wearing hooves. <laughs> now let's see that. Now that's people. That's 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 what theater does to you. Now, now, what what did your parents think? Being chemical engineers, when you, I mean, and I know I just said you were immersed in the culture of theater in your hometown. Right. But what did your parents think when you came up to them? And you know, I mean, it's like anything. Chemical engineers. I mean, that means you're very smart because people. I mean, that's you come from smart genes. I mean, chemical yes, engineers, especially at at, at our age. There wasn't a lot of chemical engineers back then. Right. What I mean, what did they think when you said, "Okay, here's the deal. I want to act." Well, I, I remember the moment. I actually have a photograph of the moment my dad told me I I could pursue acting in college. I just played Bunny in the desk set in the high school play. Okay. And I shredded it. I absolutely <laughs> shredded it. See, that's something I've never heard in years of the show. I shredded Bunny on the desk set. That's <laughs> that's like one of the best lines. That's like now I'm gonna look up this play. And you were Bunny. Now I'm going to see. Well, it's the Catherine Hepburn role. I actually even met Catherine Hepburn and told her I was playing Bunny. And she was like, what part are you playing? <laughs> and I was like, Bunny. She's like, naturally. And she signed my program. Um, but yeah, I, I, my, they, my dad came up afterwards. He thought I was terrific in the play. And he said, I'm the last of five kids, too. So he said, uh, you could pursue this in college. And I will. Help. And then someone went click and took a picture. And uh, I, have a, I have a look on my face like, <gasps> Because, you know, the last of five kids, everybody else was actually doing something fun- right. functional as a career choice, I it, guess. Doesn't that suck? Like, it's, you know, and you've, you've made it, you've done this job for, for, since you've been in college. I mean, there are, but 
there are people that do make a good living acting and writing producing but it's always so funny how everybody's like oh oh no it's such a it's like being a lawyer is worse because you go to law school you have so many bills and i mean how many good lawyers are there? there's a lot of crappy lawyers right and i mean unless you're one of those tv guys it's a crappy lawyer who make millions right or you know or you know if you want to be like a public defender you don't make a lot of money and no one ever says oh oh going to law school that's a bad idea you know because i think there's as many people going to law school as there are people trying to act right i would agree so now where'd, where'd you go to college to uh I went several places, not so successfully. Uh, I started at uh, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and that was absolutely not for me at that time. Um, you know, I was a metro, you know, I was a New York girl, Jersey, you know, going out in the middle of Ohio and cow tipping really just was not my bag of tea. So I then transferred to Montclair State okay. College, and then I went and did a year abroad at a, a school called Middlesex Polytechnic in Hertfordshire. And so I went up to London, and I think that's where I learned the bulk of the useful knowledge that I acquired during those years. And then that, how did you end up going to Seattle then? Because it's weird going from London to Seattle. I mean, you know, it's it's a, it's a weird, I mean, was it because you heard it was a hotbed, it was starting, or did you like grunge music? Or, well, or what, what, what was <laughs> that's the... funny. I was looking to go somewhere, and uh, I had two contracts, one in Portland, Maine, doing the hostage with Colleen Dewhurst, which I thought was kind of great, but it was as like a little chorus, you know, you know, background part to get my equity points. And then I had helped a friend drive a 1964 Plymouth Valiant across country. And when I got there at $8, so I'm in Seattle, I have $8. I auditioned for a musical and I got cast in it. It was called Angry Housewives. And I showed up there um, a month later to fulfill the contract and they had recast it without telling me. And so I had no money to get out. And you're just, you're there. So I no, just stayed. And it, that's, so then you started meeting people then, yeah, I guess you really had to, I mean, that was a scary feeling because one, we're young and it's like anything, you know, if you're older and if, if something falls through, you go, okay, you know, I'll roll with it. When you're young, it's like your whole world's collapsing. Well, you know, I didn't know anybody. It was like, happily, uh, I picked up the phone and started calling all the theaters in Seattle and I. I called the Apple Theater, and I was like, I'm an actress from York, not knowing it was a porn house. <laughs> and then I called Annex Theater, which was the second A on the list. And my friend Johnny Sylvain, who later created Sacred Fools Theater, uh, said, come down, audition. We just had an actress drop out of a part. He cast me in the part, and I was with that company for eight years. So you stay with the company, and you're growing as a, as a performer, I'm yeah. sure. Being, and you said you did so many shows. We and... did everything. I was the TD for three years. I met Brian Finney there. I met, uh, Paul Giamatti was one of our actors. It was uh, started by a bunch of Yale undergrads. Which uh, so, But we really, we did 24 original scripts a year. And so if I wasn't acting, I was directing. If I wasn't directing, I was learning how to light design. You know, everyone had to take a part in something they didn't know how to do. So as, we would have ownership as a company. So it was great. So that's great. So you're doing that and you're there for eight years. Now, at, at what point do you sit there and say, I need to go to LA? Were people coming to LA? Because I know like when Chicago was uh, bigger in theater, a lot of productions were shot in Chicago. And I know Seattle probably was shooting stuff in Vancouver, so they probably needed people from that way. But what point did you say, I want to go to LA and go into TV or film? Because it seemed you were really, it was must have been very fulfilling doing so many original plays. So you're not doing crap that you don't want to see. Not not someone saying, where you're going to play this part and you, you know, as an actor, you're going to take a part. So what, was there a defining moment that you said, I have to go to LA? There, there was, um, I, uh, you know, I worked a lot. I, I worked at the Seattle rep. I worked at the empty space, all the, all the different theaters around there. And, uh, I received a call from the actor, uh, Tom Hulse to do a reading of an eight hour long play called the cider house rules based on John Irving's novel. And I thought, yeah, let's do that. Wow. And I got cast in that show. Um, while I was, uh, performing and rehearsing in that in the afternoon, I was performing in Equity Children's Theater in the morning and performing an, the lead role in Iggy Scrooge at the Empty Space at night. So I was doing three shows a day. And one's eight hours. So I mean, you, I mean, it's, and, and getting paid for all three of those shows. Well, in eight years, that was the first moment I cracked the poverty line. Okay. And in that moment that I thought, Yahoo! I got to get out of here. I got to go. Because I thought, I can't work harder than this. Yeah, I'm I mean, riding that's... around in the rain on a Vespa, like going like, oh my God, I'll never. And I, and I decided when the play came down to the Mark Taper Forum, I called up my best friend from high school who, you know, had an apartment here and he, he picked me up at the airport and I just ended up staying. So you stayed and now when you come here, you know, being, it's like anything, even when people are 
established in New York, when they come to LA, a lot of times it's like starting over. And now for you, but did you have Seattle roots? Did they sit there? Did you get some ins because you were you were a working actor? Right. Unlike you know people just show up and go, hey, I'm here. Here's my headshot. Right. What was it like for you to try to get an agent? Did you have to? Did you have to struggle? Well, I was very I was very lucky because um, Tom, the director of the play, Hulse, who's was known for Amadeus and Dominic yeah. and Eugene and Animal House, Animal House, and uh, he he had an agent. He used to have an agent named Susan Smith who had flown up and seen me in the play. So when I came down here, I walked right into her office, and, and she signed me immediately. I was very fortunate. Um, and then I had to wait for six months while we were rehearsing the play. So in that time, I decided to mount a play. So I mounted a show with $600, and we won three ovation awards with n- no money. Like, this was me just, like, waiting around, and, and this was early Circle X uh, years, which is one of the theaters I, I sort of helped, you know, put on the map. And so it was kind of funny that year at the Ovation Awards, which is like the Tonys of Los Angeles, literally I would sit down and they'd be like, Jillian Arminante. And we'd, I'd go up for the small theater and then I'd sit down and then the Mark Taper with Jillian Arminante. Like I kept going like right. at big theater <laughs> and small theater. I was very fortunate. And I'd been in Seattle for eight years. I hadn't won anything. I didn't even get a paperweight. Yeah, so you're, it was right. you're like, driving a Vespa in the rain, working yeah, you know, 14 hours for three plays. And exactly. now it's like you're the toast of the town. It, it was hysterical. I mean, literally that first play I directed had more nominations than The Lion King. I mean, it was a riot. So, And we had $600 budget. So, you know, I, I was entrenched here. And then I started actually booking jobs that actually paid money, unlike the previous decade. And uh, and so yeah, I've been very fortunate ever since. Now then, you're doing these plays, and you're getting awards. And when in your mind you sit there and go, okay, you know what? Maybe I should go over to film and TV. Did you think of that, or were you one of those people that said, if I can make my living in stage, this is what I'm going to do? Some people feel that way. I mean, what was your what was your view? Well, honestly, I was so busy mounting theater that uh, I think my first audition, I literally had the script on my steering wheel of my truck with lumber in the back. And I was like, oh my God, I was trying to read the script and it was for Girl Interrupted and I booked it. So I got in that, um, got to fly to Harrisburg while I was shooting Girl Interrupted, the play Cider House was happening in New York. So I was driving between Harrisburg and New York doing an off-Broadway play and shooting that movie. So, you know, and then when I got home, the next audition I got, I booked a West Wing and the next audition I got, I booked a series regular on Junji Gaming. Right. So I mean, what's I mean? So in between, okay, you know, you you got the part, and you're you're traveling doing theater. West Wing. I mean, first of all, I mean that's a pretty big show to get cast. I mean, just for the besides being a popular show, just before because the talent. I mean, Aaron Sorkin, and I mean, you know, Sheen, and and I know, was with Jenny. Richard Schiff. I think my okay. scene was. Yeah. See, but I mean, it's, that's a pretty big thing. I mean, what would, how was it good for you? To sit there because you're so used to theater, yeah. and you and you, I mean, and your your training in theater was you're doing everything. I mean, it sounds like you know if you sat there, if there's a little slight minute, check the lights, check this. Right. So you're running around, and and you're used to that, and you're used to this very frantic pace. And, and with theater, you're on stage every night doing a long show. What was it like when you first went on a TV set? You must have been like, oh my god, this is cake. It was cake. I tell you, you do an eight-hour play. Like I did that play for four years. Like. I cracked my elbows. I opened it in Seattle with 104 and a lung infection. You just you just keep doing it, you know? Sitting and doing a two-hander scene and then getting paid more money than you've earned right. in a year is 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 great, you know? I was when I look back at that clip, I'm I'm a child, although, you know, I I did come to Los Angeles pretty late in life. But uh it it was fun. You know, they're all out everybody's, you know, getting to work with actors and, you know, even on the judging Amy job like Amy's a theater actor. Tyne is a theater actor. You know, Danny Futterman's a theater actor. So most of the television film actors I know, you know, came from stage anyway. So we have the same sort of vernacular. We could be like, oh, if I come in low status and you come in high status, and then we'll switch halfway through. Like, it, it's it's part of what I enjoy about it. Well, how did the audition come up for Judging Amy? Because as you said, you had booked West Wing and you had a name in theater. Yeah. But it's also a lot of times when it's a show and, you know, Amy Brenneman was known but not a huge name, right? And a lot of times for the supporting person, if you especially now, you they want people that are a familiar face. Did your agent have to pull some hoops to get you there? I mean, how did you get the audition, and was it a long process? Well, uh, Jeannie Bacharach, uh, the great Jeannie Bacharach, who casts many shows here in town, happened to see me inside her house, 
And honestly, this is going to sound really dorky, but my mom had three brothers, three brothers away in World War II, um, and Bora Bora, and you know, all over the place in the Pacific. And she was desperately in love with Alan Ladd. And when I showed up for my Judging Amy audition, I had to cry. And, you know, I don't know. Hollywood is like a mystery to me. I, I, you know, I didn't know much about it. But when I showed up, I had to walk through the gates of Paramount Studios. And I, it, it unnerved me because that was where uh, Alan Ladd was signed. And my mom, when she was a little nine-year-old during World War II, was so in love with him that I was, I sobbed walking through the gates of Paramount just because I know it was something that was important to my mom 40 years earlier. And so I, I nailed that audition. I booked that part. I sobbed and, you know, acted and it was funny. And I, and I scored the role. Uh, it was just supposed to be one day. But so, that, so it started off as just oh, oh, a guest star. Yeah, they were already going. And then I met Amy Brenneman, fell in love. And when they weren't yelling at us for laughing so hard, uh, we'd act together. And we just, I just, we just had so much fun. Because she, you know, she came up through Cornerstone Theater. And uh, Annex, my theater, was very similar in terms of doing new work and deconstructing stuff. And, and so the two of us just got along famously. And by, by the end of that first season, they, you know, offered me regular. So. What's that like? I mean, because you sit there and, you know, as you said, you, you've busted your ass doing theater. Yeah. You said, and, and not making a lot of money in some of the theater. They're probably making money. And now, all of a sudden, they sit there and they say, we want to make you a regular on a series. And it turns out the series ran for five years. So, I mean, did you sit there? Six, actually. Six? I was yeah. trying to figure out that That's math. Okay. I went, did you sit there and go, my life, I mean, did you know that your life was going to change when you booked that, when you when they made you regular? Because it, it had to change because you can still do what you want and yeah. you probably produce something with a higher value than $600, even though you probably Slightly. Even though you don't want to because it's like you probably that's no I kept doing I kept doing theater which is hysterical when I think back on it like doing a 16 hour a day courtroom drama and then I wrote and directed and produced a play called In Flagrante Gothecto which won the drama critics and the Ted Schmidt award for writing and so like I was always doing both to me getting money acting on television afforded me the luxury to do what I truly loved which was theater Um, even though the time crunch is a little difficult when you're working that hard um, but having money to do something you've loved doing anyway for 20 years is amazing but I am horribly conservative when it comes to money because of my Seattle days my, my I mean, we used to dig food out of dumpsters I mean I was in the heart of grunge I mean Kurt Cobain played at our theater like we had no money you know my friends would put their change on the table and when we got three dollars we could get a pitcher of beer so suddenly having a, a a ton of money doing the exact same thing as i was doing a month earlier um i i sort of pretended it wasn't happening i pretended it was las vegas and i had one pocket i could take right. the money in and one pocket <laughs> i could spend the money out of and i think that's helped me over the years living humbly regardless of intake well i think that is good i, I talked to someone who was in a two girls, a guy in a pizza place and said, Ryan Reynolds was the same way. Even though he had made money as a kid, he taught this guy, you know, even no one knew when Ryan Reynolds would become what he was right. the same thing. He's like, you know, don't go out, don't go out and buy, you know, the, the vet or whatever back then was a big car. Don't get the thing. Just drive modestly right. and stay in modest. I mean, live life and go out and eat and stuff like that. Right. But it's a th- I think it's very important. I still have my 2001 Jeep. Do you? Yeah, it's well, good. that's awesome though. It's a good I, ride. It's I, a V8. I drive. I'll be honest. <laughs> my girlfriend's funny because she was sitting there going, "You should get a new car." And um, I drive a 1996 Toyota Tercel. Nice. And I'm gonna tell you, it has 110,000 miles on it, which is nothing. It costs me sixty dollars a month for insurance. Right. That's it. And I'm exactly. like, I'm like, I don't need, I don't need a nice car. I don't right. care. I don't even wash it. It's like, and I, I'm to a point where I'm like, it's, I got a dent in the back, and I'm like, you really don't. You have self-respect. Get a little, I, a little I go, plunger, a little yeah, plunger. No, I, I don't want to work. The thing got hit. It's not, <laughs> but that's like people are like, yeah. And I said, well, if I went and got a BMW, I'd have to pay three, even at least three fifty a month, and the insurance would be. It's like five hundred fifty dollars a month. I go, right. that's that's like you know half to a third of your rent. Right. I finally did lease a new car because I have two children. So and you're sort of like, I, I should be safe maybe for it, them. Now that car you have though, the Mini Cooper, is, yeah. they say is is very safe. I mean the interior, yeah. the interior is made from uh, BMW owns it. Yes. And they it say is. the the safety for the inside is one of the safest you can have. Well, it it goes too. She do go, and uh, you know it's nice when you lease because they just they just take care of you as if right. you know <laughs> it's amazing because I've never leased before. I've only ever bought. Um, but I figured when you have kids, you have to put them in something better than an orange crate to get them to school. 
So now, now when Judge and Amy is becoming popular, are people starting to recognize you? And, w- and what is that like as, you know, as I said, someone who's a New Jersey person, we're, we're all, I mean, people give us a hard time, but we're all pretty humble. We're, I mean, we're, we, we can be loud and we can be fast paced, but we're, we're pretty humble. I mean, we're not like, we're not like, we're not loud because we want the spotlight. We're loud because we want people to get out of our way. Right. And you being the youngest of five or six, five, five, you know, you being the youngest, you have to be somewhat loud just to get attention. Oh, I got attention. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I was the crazy one. They, they stopped looking when it came to me. Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I remember being, cause I'm a lumpy kind of gal. I'm a character actor. I don't look like an actor. You know what I mean? Uh, I look like somebody you went to high school with. Right. And I, I just remember being in like Singapore or something and having a mob of people pointing at me and running toward me and thinking, who, who are they? What? Oh, they're coming. Oh, I got to go. You know, it, it, it's bizarre. You know, when you're, I mean, I've flown halfway across the world to India and fell asleep in my hotel room and woken up, popped the TV on. And it was like us, you know, me and Amy and, you know, speaking, you know, another language like and you're like, oh, my God, it's everywhere. So, yeah, it, you, when you're an actor and you get walked up the stairs like that, you know, you get stopped in your hometown for being great in the play. And then you get, you know, a bigger play and the more people are like, oh, you're that chick. You know, it just, it, it goes with the territory, and I, I must confess, I do like it. I like being appreciated for my work. Well, that's it. I mean, that's always a great feeling. I mean, sit there, you know, people sit there and go, and now it's funny because, you know, TV, I mean, everyone can watch everything. I mean, if, if you want to find, you know, you're judging it, you can, I'm sure they can go find it. Right. And that's what's great about now is because your your work goes on, but I know some people sit there and they go, oh, you're like, I have Deirdre Lovejoy on it said She goes, I've never watched The, the Wire, TV. and she goes, I've watched it, but she goes, I've never binge watched it, which I should. But then she goes, but then I'm watching myself from 12 years ago. And you're like, wait a second. I'm I know, different now. I actually met Dee Dee Lovejoy in 1985 when she was at uh, NYU. Okay. So I, I watched her. She did a judging game. I watched her come up. And that's the crazy thing. When you, when you see people that you used to just be in the trenches with doing it because you loved it actually get success, you know? It's great. It's amazing. And it's it's the best feeling in the world when you see someone that you once huddled over a propane heater in a very cold theater, you know, actually slamming a role on TV or film. I've, I've always heard that. I heard that also comes with auditioning out here where, you know, especially for the character actor men, where they sit there and they've seen these guys in the audition room for years. Yeah. But like 20 years ago, there was like a hundred of them. And now right. there's like 10 left. And all of them are good because right. they wouldn't be here and still around. So it's like for you, it must be great too, because there's people, as you said, starting, it must be cool just to sit there and go, you know, and be, and you're, you're successful. It's like anything. A lot of theater people like that. It's like all the Chicago people, the second city people, they've all had great success. But I think one of the reasons is they're just nice people. I mean, you talk to a Pat Finn or a Rose Abdu or people like that yeah. that've known each other. And that's the thing. I think you get the camaraderie. I think, and I think that might come from being on stage background. Cause I think, there is a commodity. If you yeah, just come I mean, out here. actors are nomads, you know? I mean, when I was in Seattle, we were doing eight millimeter black and white films being like thrown down hills and shopping carts. And, you know, I mean, Joel McHale was a Seattle actor. We were on a local show together. And, and Brian Finney, who's now in turn, you know, like I said, he was naked, painted blue, like wearing hooves when I met him. And, and Paul Giamatti came up through Annex Theater. Like when you know those people, like when I first met Paul Giamatti, I was the TD of the theater. He was, I had him on his stomach straight. It's picking the straight screws from the bent screws <laughs> so we could reuse the screws because we didn't have enough money to buy drywall screws. So, you know, you don't, you don't forget stuff like that when you see Paul sitting at the Academy Awards with right. a nominee. You know what I mean? You're like, oh. and he probably remembers that. And he probably is like the person, like, you always sit there because I did comedy in Philadelphia. Yeah. And we always sit there, and a friend of mine worked on a movie with Adam McKay. And me and Adam used to do shows together. And my friend texts me and he said, hey, he goes, uh, McKay's going to set. I said, tell him. I said, hi. And it's like anything. People in Hollywood say, I know someone, but they don't. And he said, he went up and he said, oh, Steve Cooper's outside. And he was cool. Oh. He used to take me to comedy shows in that little Fiero. And he's like, how do you remember that? Wow. And I go, because we remember that stuff because yeah. we were all in the same place. Yeah. And it's, it's cool. So now what was it like when the show went off the air? Because it, it, is it, I've heard it's very depressing, but now you've been a long theater run, so it might have been different. But I've heard you become, you become a family with, not only your cast, but your crew. Oh, and yeah. it's like you're constantly there. And like a lot of people say that it's like their second family. So what was it like for you when it went off the air? Was it a depressing thing or because you had kept so busy, you, you transitioned and said, I still got I still got my theater. Honestly, uh, I, I started working in uh, other 
things. The, I mean, the month that Judging Amy went off the air, I went off and shot North Country in Minnesota with Charlize Theron, directed by Nikki Caro, and you know, and made those friends and Michelle Monaghan and Woody Harrelson, and and uh, then I came out of that and I did an independent film in Oklahoma. So it was it was it left me opportunities to do features, uh, stopping television. You know what I mean? So to me, it was it was great. I mean, it's been ten years since that show was in particular was off the air, but I, I've done many, many projects since, and some as a guest star and some feature films in India or Budapest or whatever. And, and to me, it's like part of what's wonderful about the adventure is like you have no, I could be a week from now, I could be, you know, sitting in Cambodia filming something. I mean, you have no idea where you're going to be when. So. Now, do you notice a big difference between movies and TV when you work a feature? Is it in the turnaround? Because in a, in a TV it's a weekly series and it's probably a week shoot, I'm guessing. And you sit there and you have to sit there and basically get, you have to get it done. I mean, it's not like a movie. You don't get a shot. Everyone's not going to go, Oh my God, you know, it's raining. Right. Well, okay. We can work tomorrow for TV. Right. It's raining. Yeah. But we only have this location right. for today. We got to wait till it stops raining. But right. it, luckily it's California, but let's say you're in Vancouver where they shoot a lot of stuff. You, you're screwed with the rain, you know? Right. There's so, usually a cover set though. They okay. usually have an indoor. I mean, it was hard because Judging Amy was a courtroom drama. So unfortunately, most of my shooting is were, was the very long days because you have to cover the judge, cover the court clerk, cover this. You know, there's so much coverage in the d- defense table, the offense table. So it's not like doing a two-person scene where you over, over, master, and you're out. You know what I mean? So... For me, TV felt very long um, until later when I was doing guest stars and, you know, you'd get a two or, per, two or three person scene and then you'd, you'd be out. Um, and I think in features, I think it depends on who you work with. I mean, uh, I worked with uh, an amazing director, Michael Winterbottom, who um, directed Mighty Heart and he would roll the camera. You wouldn't even know. He wouldn't even yell action. You'd be like out on the deck, like squashing a bug, and he'd film it and put it in the movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> so no lighting setups, nothing, no turnaround. You know, so it depends on the velocity of the director. I think, um, you know, how how fast a movie goes. I mean, the early movies, you know, it used to be studios would fly you up and let you hang out with the local townsfolk and get all drunky and, you know, go ice fishing just to like, you know, get you into the culture. Uh, I, I find it's not quite that way anymore and since the economic crash but um but it's still fun yeah. so now some of the guest roles you've been on i mean great i mean great shows scandal which is the well desperate housewives which it must have been that show it's funny i didn't watch it because i it wasn't my market yeah but that was one of those shows that really brought back female roles i mean you know you think there was four strong yeah well, what was that well, i mean what's it like when you're in a show and you're in rest of development you're in these shows that you know you're a guest star in a show that has such a a cult and i was i mean even though they're popular they have those devout cult people that know yeah. everything and probably saw you know you probably get stopped from that epi- from desperate housewives or arrested about that because there are people that are different than regular tv watchers it's like anything you know you sit there it's like when you talk to star trek people they go oh my god i was on two episodes and i someone stopped me they saw and they've seen everything i've done i mean what that must be a great feeling when you're noticed from something and then then you know it just start talking to you it must be a great feeling well i think i mean each each show is 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 an honor you know what i mean like right now i'm doing uh, fresh off the boat which to me is somebody who you know believes in you know s- social conscious you know uh, representation in the world if i can uh it, it's nice um right now i'm playing like a you know a, a, a kind of dim waitress on fresh off the boat and yet on, over on uh the fosters and abc family i'm playing kind of a hot dyke plumber okay so it's it's interesting driving from one gig to the other <laughs> you know being kind of like like what so like hey there you know so it's you know it's fun and in each i think each show has their audience and each show has their you know it, it is fun i get messages on facebook like oh my god you're on west wing like somebody's rented it 10 years later and uh it's it's great to belong to any tribe of people trying to make something you know well it must be great that you can sit there and do the transition from being on you know judging amy which is a courtroom drama and then being on you know doing a guest spot on new girl or being fresh off the boat just it must be great because you sit there and i think with theater i'm I'm sure you did both comedy and drama and theater it must be great to be able to flex that that muscle of both 
arts. Yeah, I'm very lucky. I'm a lucky character actress that way because for my first several years here, all I did were dramas. You know, I did private practice and my kid died and I cried and, you know, and uh, I had never really done uh, a half hour sitcom before. And so being able to jump in that this year was, was kind of amazing because it's a completely different ball of wax, but it's much, much more akin to my, my earlier theater. So I'm very lucky to be able to, you know, be able to play both sides the drama and the comedy and as a character actress you know a lot of times they throw you in the comic pile so uh i appreciate both and now you play you're you're in episode of better call saul I, yeah that was fun now what i mean what's that because that's one of those things and and my girlfriend didn't watch breaking bad but i told her i said we watched the first episode and we were downstairs and i said i gotta watch this because i became a breaking bad fanatic at the end because it's like anything yeah it was such a great show and I watched it. And if you didn't see Breaking Bad, you really didn't need to see that show. That's the one thing, because it is a prequel, and except for the one character. But but that must have been great. I mean, did they shoot that in New Mexico? Yes. Okay. So now, how did that part come about? And then, you know, and it, it is, I mean, once again, like when you're in Arrested Development and even New Girl, you, you're in quality. I mean, that says a lot for your talent. You're in quality programming. What, how did that part come about? And were you a Breaking Bad fan? And were you like, oh, cool? Or were you like, I don't really know the... I don't know the hype because that's a hype that show. Yeah. I, you know, once you get to be in town for a while, things start to result as of earlier um, thing. For instance, I did Bad Teacher, which was produced by Jake Kasdan, who did New Girl, who did Fresh Off the Boat. So, you know, I think when they're like, oh, we need a, you know, a lumpy character actress to play that waitress, get Jillian Armanante, you, you know, relationships start to form. So, with uh, Better Call Saul, uh, I had worked many years ago, gosh, maybe eight years ago, on a pilot that did not go, uh, cast by uh, Sherry Thomas and Sharon Bialy, who did Breaking Bad. So all during Breaking Bad, huge fan. There was never a part for me. And they're like, gosh, we're waiting for something to come for you. We're that, waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. That must suck, too, because you're yeah. like, cool. Just, and like, and that's one of those on. things you'll go, you know what? I, mean, I know people like Jim Beaver did it, and he's like, he brought him in, and then he's, when he came back, he said, Oh my God, because he played that psycho at the yeah. gun dealer. He said, I mean, people were going nuts. And he goes, I would have done that part for like free. Yeah, just, right. It was you such just a want great to, be involved, to right. work with Cranston and just work in such an yeah. unbelievable show. So it must have been driving me up the wall sitting there going, I want to be on the damn thing. Exactly. Well, and, you know, they had cast me in a pilot that was failed, but had amazing, you know, had Jane Lynch and Kathleen Perkins and Stephen Mangan and Orlando Jones. I mean, this like pilot, which I loved working on, didn't get picked up. So. All these years later, they call me in for Better Call Saul, and I have a great scene with Odenkirk. But that was from the relationship from eight years ago because I had auditioned for them, and they had cast me in a pilot. So when that part came, you know, something pays off from, from earlier effort. So it's pretty great. Now, can you get excited, even though it's a great show, when you're going to New Mexico? I mean, is, is, I mean I've heard, you know, people who've been on, like, At First Sight, like, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot to do in New Mexico. I think I did one of those as well. Okay. <laughs> I think I was a doctor and I gave birth or something. Yeah, New Mexico. Ironically, I'd filmed North Country in New Mexico and had stayed in the very same hotel. And so a lot of the crew members of Better Call Saul were my crew members from 10 years ago when we shot North Country. So uh, they all remember my nickname. They were all like, White Dog is back. You know, what, What's your nickname? White Dog. What, well, how'd you get that nickname? Like, oh, mine's Coop that's because a, it's Cooper, but I mean, White Dog. Cause that's a big story. Okay. Just, if, 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 is how it, much time you got? No, we, no, we, how, I know, no, we're good. No, we're good. We, we got 25 minutes. Okay, I want to okay. hear because that's a, that's a nickname that I would never look at you and go, hey, White Dog. No, it was a joke. Okay, so now we're already in it. It's out there. I'll tell people. When I shot North Country, uh, I had just had a baby and she was three weeks old and I went over to Minnesota and New Mexico to film it. And what would happen is we'd be outside, we'd be freezing, and I would have to breastfeed. I'd have to feed my kid or at least pump my milk and then keep doing the scene. Because, you, you know, I don't know if you know much about it, but you really don't want to blow your costume, right. if you know what I mean. <laughs> so one night, the producers thought it would be a great idea to hire the bar that we were actually in and, and give it to us to party all night. So it was, you know, me and the cast and the crew, and it was a great cast. We're all still friends and whatnot. But I had to pump and dump because we were all drinking. So when you have a baby, you can't give her milk if you've been drinking. So I went into the bathroom, pumped my milk, and went to throw it out when one of the A-list stars in the show said, whoa, 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 whoa. We could top off 80 shots of whiskey with this stuff and make a cocktail. <laughs> 
And one of the actors, Renner, um, named it the White Dog. And so <laughs> the cast and crew of that movie, we all drank the new cocktail called the White Dog. For a while, we were going to call the movie White Dog because they didn't have a title for it. But yes, I am the white dog. That's awesome. So it's funny ten years later to walk into you know, walk onto the Better Call Saul set and have a lot of the crew members going, White dog. White dog. That's great though. So it's you remember funny. it. So okay, now I want to talk about kittens in a cage. Oh, you, I did too. You produced that? I I pretty I executive produced it, you know, produced How? it, directed it. Uh I wrote the screenplay of the wonderful play that Kelly and Conway Blanchard had written at my old theater in Seattle. So now was that your first screenplay you've written? Because I know you. I mean, no, I've written many screenplays. <laughs> I live in L.A. Are you kidding? I write a screenplay exactly. a month. Um, <laughs> I've written screenplay. I have sat at CAA and they've been like, Sophia Coppola is going to direct this, and Audrey Tattoo is going to take the starring role, and then I'm, you know, I've looked at my partner, and been like, steal, <laughs> steal the bag of Fritos on your way out, because we're never hearing from those people again. What's that like? That must be. <laughs> I mean, horrible. I mean, because and even like, because even when you said about like the the pilot that has such an amazing crew, a, a cast, and people. What is that? I mean, what is it honestly like when you sit there and you're looking at something at you, and they tell you, you know, I mean, for that, I mean, there's no reason why that pilot should not have been picked up. I right. mean, that must sit there when you look at this cast and you go, wow, wow, you know, I'm right. circulating. How, I mean, is it a feeling of being frustrated? Are you pissed? Are you hurt? No, it's, you know, it's, a, it's the one that you love and you have a great time is the one that doesn't go. And then, you know, the one that you think, oh, that's never going to, and then you're like, wow, really? Okay. So it, it's part of being an actor. You got to be bulletproof. You know, you write a script, and I, I've been told, you know, we're going to produce this, and it's going to go up, and Kate Winslet's going to be in it, and then it just fizzles. One of the reasons why I did Kittens in a Cage is that I wanted, uh, you know, vertical and horizontal control of one project that I made. I raised the money, I shot it, I pushed that rock up the hill all by myself, so no one could stop it. I didn't get promises from agents. I didn't get promises from anybody. I made it you know, in my garage with my computer and we put it out and we hit it. So Now, how did you, when did you decide that you're going to make it by yourself? I mean, cause you sat there, I mean, cause it is, a, it is a big process and, you know, raising the money and then just getting everything in line. And then, you know, once you get it done, there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, so when did you sit there and say, okay, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of this crap. Like, oh yeah, we're going to, this is going to direct this. And then you, you don't hear, as you said, you're gone. When did you decide you sat there and you said, you know what? This is something I really want to do. Yeah, I wanted to have fun, and I wanted to challenge myself. I've I've directed, produced all over this town. I've I've did the theater awards. I got all that. You know what I mean? And I wanted to to challenge myself and get behind the camera. Now, when I was in Seattle, uh, I helped found a uh, editing facility called Wiggly World. That's later turned into Northwest Film Forum. And then that was years and years ago. I come to L.A. and now I'm just an actor. So people don't think of me as a director. Uh, even though I, you know, direct theater all the time. So I thought, well, let's make something as a director so they know, you know, I can tell a story. So uh, it was just a decision. I just, it, it was very quick. At the beginning of November, I was like, let's throw up a Kickstarter and see what happens. And then we made 60000 bucks. And then within a month, we did pre-production. And the month after that, we started. And the month after that, we were in the can. So, um, you know, it's like anything. When you start, you don't know what what quite you need or who's who's going to be there by your side by the end it but it doesn't matter you have a goal and i wanted to have fun so literally you know my first project i asked 50 actors to join me and they all said yes and it you know actors michelle monaghan joel McHale, uh, lauren weedman from looking and you know i mean it goes on and tyne daly did a part amy brenneman did a part like like i just people want to play and I wanted to play. I wanted to have fun. Uh, Misha Collins, who I didn't even know, I traded him. I was in his web series, and he was in mine. Okay. So, like, it was like, I'll, t- I'll show you mine if you show me yours. So his great. is better looking. But um, So, you know, it was like that Felicia Day. I had done uh, two episodes of The Guild uh, because I was friends with her producer from uh, from Seattle, Kim Evie. And so Felicia and I did a really uh, interesting movie called Prairie Fever together many years ago. And she asked me to do a couple episodes of the Guild. So I was like, will you be in my show with a monkey? And she was like, yep, I'll be there. So it, people want to play. They want to have fun. Now, how did you choose the project? Because you said it was a play you had known, but how did you decide what your material? Because because you've, been, you've written plays and you've been involved in plays in the theater, 
you must know so many writers yes. and to sit there and you probably has to be a process where you're like, okay, I know I have access to so much good work. Yeah. And, I, and being in a theater where we only did new work and only used new writers for years, I had a, a, a many to choose from. Uh, this story was a little interesting because unfortunately I had lost a friend and she was very young. And so I had been flying back and forth to Seattle because my crazy gang, you know, she was having a memorial service, and we all ate fire together and sang. And like, wait, wait, wait. You ate, you know, was that the first time you ever ate fire? No, no, no. We all did it years ago, and we, we thought Heather would like it. I want to get back service. I want to get back to that story. I but still do. How, how do you sit there and decide you're going to eat fire? Because maybe I'm just a wuss, but aren't you afraid? I mean, nah. I mean, so someone just came up to you and said, hey, hey, one. We're no, we eat. were doing a play. We were doing, we had a goat on stage, and we'd like, you know. I mean, you know, when you're doing theater and someone comes in and says, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do this, you go, yeah. You know, you acquire skills as much as you can. So uh, that, was, that was putting Seattle more and more on my mind because of the past and how quickly time flies. And, and my friends and I really, we threw it down, you know what I mean? And I saw that same theater, although I had not been involved with them in over 10 years, um, was getting a lot of great notices for a comedy that they did called Kittens in a Cage. So I said, I called up the artistic or the director of the play, and I said, will you flip me that script? Because I'd been looking actively for six months for something to film, and not nothing was sticking in my craw. I read this script. I, I howled with laughter, and I called uh, Kelleen, who was a veritable stranger at the time, and I said, you don't know me. You're in Annex Theater now. I was the original Annex Theater in the 80s and 90s. Can I take your script and turn it into a screenplay? And she said, absolutely. Didn't know me. You know, now we're great friends. Honestly, we just finished writing the second script and a third treatment. And now I consider her a dear friend. And she's so talented and a proficient writer. And so that's how it worked. I just, I, I read her script and we, you know, modified it for the, for the screen. And I had people come in and improv some scenes. And, you know, we just played. It was like, I call it the stone soup method. You know, I had a bucket of water and a rock and everybody just threw stuff in. And we made a meal out of it. Now, do you feel the pressure having your background in theater then changing something from theater to a screenplay? And we all see how sometimes that goes, that sometimes it goes awful. It's just like a book. You go, wait a second. Wait, I, right. I read the book. Is this the same thing? Did you feel pressure writing that? Because it was, and it was also something where the theater company you were involved in Seattlewood, you started, and this is someone who's worked, and you know, you may say that you don't know me, but they probably, they do know you because you started the damn thing and it's been still going all these years later. Yeah, it's like 28, 30 years yeah, later. So, I mean, crazy. so everyone knows your name. <laughs> Finney I mean, was one of the original. So yeah, people. I'm sure they know you because that's yeah. like anything. Did you feel pressure, not, not a, but put, putting a pressure on yourself because we all do that. I think when we have a project, we want it to be good. Did you feel pressure how to keep it honest to the writer? Oh, yeah, I tried to keep it as honest as, as possible. And unfortunately, a lot of times in plays, you know, the play happened in basically in one room and is text heavy because you can't travel. But that's that's what's difficult about film is that it's a visual medium. So you have to if you can see it rather than say it, you, you got to take the say it out. So that that's that's what's hard about adapting something like that is, um, you know, if someone's talking for three pages like we get way ahead of it in, in, in film because it's a visual storytelling medium. But, um, you know, it's a very, it's very campy fun. You know, they say it's like John Waters in a blender with oranges, the new black. Um, we were honestly in the can six months before oranges, the new black even came out. We get compared to them, which is ridiculous because we had $60,000 and they have, you know, 300 right. million. Um, you know, and my, Mozo, my, the, the lead actress says, you know, Orange is the New Black is kind of ER and we're kind of scrubs. You know what I mean? There, there is room for more than one prison show. You know what I mean? So, um, but this is a, you know, grassroots, made it ourselves kind of show. And, you know, we've been very successful. We're in like 18, 19 film festivals. We've won many of them. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're doing good. How do you get it to the film festival? You have it done. Okay, you finally get it done. And it must be a great feeling because mm -hmm. you sat there and you embarked on this and you said, okay. I'm about listening. You had great people help you out. So, I mean, bottom line is you have a project that people are going to want to see. How do you sit there now? You sit there, you have the done project. You just start hitting up every film festival and then... You get a bottle of wine. Okay. Sit at your kitchen table. <laughs> and you go on without a box. 
and it lists all the film festivals. And you think, do I have a couch I can sleep on if I got into that film festival? Yes, I do. So I only, you know, if I'm not going to have a place to sleep, I probably am not going to, you know, unless it's a biggie. Um, I am flying to uh, Shreveport, you know, next weekend and Seattle the weekend after that, New York in mid-October and but, you know, I know I got a place to crash all those places. So that, that's how I did it. And uh, we were in Long Beach last weekend. It was hilarious because, like, most of the crew came down. And uh, we just had a great time. So, you know, you, you put it in and you cross your fingers and you hope. And so, some of the film festivals have sought us out. Uh, one in Staffordshire, England, and the, the one in Louisiana. I mean, some people come to us and say, you know, we, we heard your film would be great for our programming. Would you consider, you know, letting us use it? And I'm like, sure. Now, what's it like when you sit there at one of these festivals? I'm sure you watch the screen. You yeah. go in. Now, being someone who was in theater, which you never see your, you never see the rea- I mean, you may see the reaction of the people, but you really can't because you're acting. And on TV, you can't sit there and watch. You know, you don't, you don't have a box that goes in and you see me going, oh, this is great. Right, or I'm right. laughing. What's it like when you sit there and all of a sudden, first of all, it must be scary because you're sitting there and it's a comedy. So like anything. If people don't laugh, if, if people walk out on the wrong parts, I, mean, I remember watching the movie Phantasm when it came out years ago, right. and we were laughing. I go, wait, it's supposed to be a horror. If I was the director, I would have been shitting myself. And I'd be like, what the hell? It's supposed to be scary. Or it's like when you see right. like Adam Sandler punch drunk love. Half the people think. I love it's that spo- movie. But there, a lot of people thought it was supposed to be a comedy. So right. when he's doing this serious part where she's very good and he's crying, right. people are like, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you meathead. Right, that's, not, right. that's, that's called acting. But what's it like now when you sit there and you have to sit like the first night that you're in the in the theater and people are watching your movie and you have to and I'm sure oh, it was great. you're not watching it, but you must be watching a reaction. Was there were you nervous at first? And is it like oh, comedy? Of course. Once you get to like I did stand up for years, and once you get that first laugh, then you're just on a roll. Well, you know, I I in typical theatrical style, I took out the Barnsdale Art Museum, like their giant screening room, and invited three hundred people. And, you know, because we have no money, literally, I, I got the free month on LinkedIn. Okay. And then, like, wrote those people that month and, like, tried to get any distributors or any are, are people. You, like, are you on LinkedIn? I am. I get so many requests. And I, I when I, years ago, I did marketing for a restaurant. Yeah. And I'm like, I have people, like, business people and then comedians. And I'm like, why is a comedian in LinkedIn? There's no, you're not making any well, hookups. It, it, you know, you know, I saved the LinkedIn premium thing right. for that month. I saved everything, <laughs> like, my free advertising on Twitter for that month. And we had, of course, I had, I produced the event, so I went and got wine and beer and, you know, but it's my screening. I didn't just show up in a skirt and heels and, you know, look right. good. I was lugging boxes of Takate, you know, up, up the back stairs. And people, that's that's when you know it's low budget, Takate. Takate. Oh, no, that's the choice of my, that's the breakfast choice of my crew. Okay. So I, I fed them Takate. So, uh, you know, we had 300 people packed in and uh, it was one of the finest evenings of my life. There was not a moment that didn't go over. Tiny little moments. They were laughing. Huge standing ovation at the end. It was uh, amazing. And and because I sat in a room for a year and a half, um, probably 12 hours a day, clicking to the point, clicking on my computer and my program to the point where I had to ice my hand, and you're sitting by yourself, and you're tired, and you don't have any money, and you're pushing the rock up the hill, to then be in a room with a giant, beautiful blue blu-ray projection of your film and have 300 people you know stand after two hours of content and it was amazing i mean tiny little moments people were laughing at and we're very non-apologetic i mean we shoot people we mutilate people. it's fun it's kind of you know horror sci-fi kind of gay kind of not it's kind of a comedy it's kind of a not it's kind of a musical it's kind of not See, it sounds fun because I, I always say this on the show i was in a movie years ago called killer dry queens on dope it was the same thing Good as title. Alexis Arquette, and it was Mark Feltzman, who was a great actor, Freddie yeah. Boom Boom Washington, and I got cast because the director saw me in something, and that's the same thing. It's just, it's campy, and it's fun, yeah. and if you walk in, and you come out offended, then F you, because, you yeah. know, you, you hear pre-buzz, and if you hear pre-buzz, and you expect something different, yeah. you're at the wrong place. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a very eclectic piece, but it's it's nothing but fun, and so so it was great that first night at the barn still watching that, and, uh, you know, we got distribution right away off of that, so that drunken wine session filling for all the film festivals was kind of unnecessary, <laughs> but, um, so it's, you know, they're all happening at the same time, which is great, and now we're talking uh, part two, which is really fun, and we've even 
outlined a treatment for part three because we've made a family. We we love each other and we are still friends and we want to work together again. Now, why did you sit there and it's listed on IMDb as seven episodes? Yeah. So now at what point did you sit there and say, we're going to break it up and how do you decide? Did you, did you just cut the movie in seven parts? Well, uh, originally we filmed it as a feature because you don't know how people want their content ever. And so... Um, you know, early on a web, sorry, hit the table, uh, early on web series were thought to be five minutes or under, and then maybe toward the end of the season, they could be seven minutes. But if you're a distributor and you want to be able to, you know, sell it to different people, they find that at least a 20 minute chunk is good because if it's behind a paywall, people, you know, get their money's worth and they get an actual unit and they continue. Or, you know, if you're, a big company, 20 minutes is enough to sneak a couple ads in and, and get it paid for. So it's hard to sneak an ad in a three to five minute piece. So yes, we chopped the feature apart and it worked fine. Now, where can people find this? Um, uh, they can find it, uh, let's see, they can find it on Vimeo, on demand. As the, the movie or as the mini, as the, not mini series, but as, as the, a, the a web mini series. series. <laughs> the mini series. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they can find uh, all the episodes. You can buy them all, rent them all. Um, they can find it on Hulu. They can find it on Amazon Prime. They can find it on a new short form uh, platform called Vessel. Uh, and I'm working on iTunes. And it's, so it's on Amazon Prime. Uh huh. You know what? I'm gonna have to watch it because Dude, I have Amazon us, Prime. Give us five stars. I, oh, definitely. I, I'll sit there <laughs> uh, and I'll write a nice. And if you can write reviews, I'll write a nice review. I'll go, hey, this was amazing. Please do. I, I definitely because that's like you know. And it's always, you know, it, it's like anything. You know, people, you're very, I can tell in your eyes, you're very proud of this project and you've had a good body of work, you know, your career. So you have talent and when you, you can tell you're passionate about this. So that's one of the things when you go in and you go, okay, you know what? This isn't going to suck. When you get something from people who go, hey, so I, I did this movie. I, I'll get something on, you know, Facebook. Hey, check this out. Check my you know, album out. And then you sit there and you go, uh, well, I talked to you. You sort of seem like an adult. <laughs> I don't think I can watch well, it. Well, you know, I mean, it's not it, it's not a seething social commentary. It's not, you know, there's there are two women who are in a relationship, but it's not, you know, a unicorn shitting rainbows either. Right. So, <laughs> we have great we have great great music. Uh, the band Vintage Trouble, uh, fronted by Ty Taylor, does our theme song. We have American Idols, Constantine Maroulis, uh, Latoya London. I mean, the music's great. The the text the dialogue's great the acting great actors and I'm, I'm just very lucky i'm very proud of it now what are some other projects coming up for you gosh well, i see i saw hail caesar oh yeah and that's a coen brother movie isn't it yes it is and i believe fred malamed is in that i don't i don't know it might be you know i signed one of those things that's okay. like unap- you know i'm actually looking for the sniper in the room right Right we, we won't talk about that see if you can't talk about it. well but, I, yeah I'm it not must sure. have I been mean, great working with you. uh well i said i sat with George Clooney for 12 hours for th- three days. It was awesome. It was amazing. And now, now off the boat, or fresh off the boat, are you, are you back on this season? Yes. Okay. So now the first season got very good reviews. And is it is it a mid season this year, or is it starting off? Because I know I think is, is it in that lineup? Because I know it followed Blackish and the Goldbergs, which is one of my favorite shows. Yeah. And it, it's, I mean, so that must be great being on a on a primetime sitcom. It must be a great feeling because it's. You know that you know you're going to work, and you're just having fun, and you don't have to carry it because you're a supporting character. So a lot of times you get the best lines written for you because they. Yeah, sit you there. come in. You're the special weapon. You come in. You say your one or two lines, and you get out. It's you know that show was a a, a gift because it literally fell out of the sky. How that? I, I I didn't. Uh, uh, gosh, um, the casting director Anya Koloff recommended me. Um, you know Jake Kasdan, who did Bad Teacher and New Girl, and you know. Uh, and, and Melvin Marr, uh, they just said, let's get Jillian Armante. They did 13 episodes because they were mid-season replacement, uh, and then they got picked up. So, you know, it's it was just fortunate for me to be able to play uh, with them and, and have a great time at my old lot in Fox, 20th Century Fox, which was amazing. And, must, that yeah. must be great, though, to sit there and actually, because once again, you're on a series that got picked up, so it has that, it has that family feel. It must be good to go into a set where instead of being, you know, even if when you're a guest star, you're still going into a set where it's always like the new kid coming into school. Like right, right. he's coming for one semester, then he's got to go. I mean, it must be great just to get that camaraderie again. Oh yeah. Well, and, and I, I, I get to work with Paul Schur. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. He's 
awesome. We're like the you know number ten standing next to each other. He, but he's he's sort of my partner in every scene, and and he's I just adore him. I, I just love working with him. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, when you're an actor, you know you're sitting in a fishing boat, and sometimes you know they jump in the boat when you're not expecting it. Sometimes you're starving and there's there's nothing. Sometimes it's huge, you know, and sometimes they're so small you got to throw them back. So that was that was one of the things where I was sitting in the boat not expecting anything and a fish just flopped into the boat without me even trying to catch it so that was kind of great now are people recognizing you from that now because you said your character is sort of ditzy and then of course you're a lawyer which is very i mean so i mean right. are, are, are people recognizing you from that show at all i mean do you yeah. ever get stopped and they go hey yeah you know, straight off, you know nancy I mean, yeah they, they they come screaming after me it's nancy especially you know in a lot of the asian communities and whatnot and people are like are looking at me like i know you I know you because I don't look like an actor. Right, people saying, yeah. think they they know me, but because I'm you know just a normal looking person. Or um, as I always get from character actors, they know you, but we don't know what we know you from. It's, right. Like they always say, "Hey, please, we know you from that." No, no, that wasn't. Well, we know. No, I wasn't in that. Uh, and, you right. know, here's what I've been in. Right. Well, and the same thing with the Fosters. You know, I've been an out actress. I came to Los Angeles out. I was never in. You know, a lot of people come, they get their career going, they get on a top show, and then they announce their sexuality. I, I, you know, I just showed up that way, so there's nothing remarkable about it. But a lot of times, uh, you know, for instance, at the film festival in Long Beach, people were coming up to me and going, oh, my gosh, you had such an impact on my life because I saw you in Girl Interrupted, and then you, you know, just were openly gay. And, I, you know, it, to me, it was unremarkable. But... To be able to be on the Fosters, which is, you know, the first gay show with two women in the leads was, you know, an honor. And, and the fact that that work is being done, uh, you know, the 14 year old New Jersey Italian Catholic in me is like, I never would have dreamed right. something like that could occur. <laughs> so, you know, so Peter Page and, and J-Lo made this show and I'm like honored to be a part of it. So, yeah, stuff especially, like that. especially in North Jersey. I mean, yeah, North Jersey. Like, I mean, are you kidding South, me? South Jersey, we were a little more, you know, we were a little more liberal. There's North a reason. <laughs> there's a reason I ran to Seattle <laughs> 3,000 miles away. Now, do you ever get back to New Jersey? Oh, all the time. My, we still live in the house I was, I was born in. And what do you think when you go back? I mean, has it changed? Like I, I was going back to Cherry Hill for two years ago before my girlfriend moved out. I went back. I was by Coastal for a year and a half. And it changed so much. Did, did, did your town change a lot? My ch- my town changed a lot and didn't change. It's very strange because literally, like my bedroom is exactly as it was in seventh grade, <laughs> and I grew up next to my best friend Ethan Marulis, who is Constantine Marulis and all those you know the idol, and there are three houses up the street from us, and we, you know the neighborhood is exactly the same. Like the you know people across the street, the Geronimos, they've been there since the '60s. Like we're all there. What has changed is any portion of land that used to be a field a farm a fruit stand is all gone you know they've built mcmansions on them and and literally i i grew up you know with lily ponds we ice skated on they're gone like they've overbuilt everything um the town next to where i grew up you know was real housewives of new jersey okay and but those people weren't there when i grew up right when so, i grew up it was we had yeah. cows you exactly. know what i mean and then these giant mansions and those people moved in so it's a little um it's very different. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. This is fun. Oh, I'm my God, please. Uh, no, was that no. an hour, really? Yeah, see, wow. it, it flies. Now, you got to give all your social media and all that stuff. Sure. Uh, I'm Jillian Armanante at Uh Kittens in a Cage is uh, kittensinacage.com. Uh, on Twitter, we're Kittens in a Cage. On Facebook, we're Kittens in a Cage. There's a lot of Kittens, a lot in, of kittens a in a Cage. Kittens in a Cage. And people, it's Armanante, A-R-M-E-N-A-N-T-E, Jillian, J-I-L-L-I-A-N. Great website. She has a reel. She has a lot of stuff up, so it's great. And I'm, I'm now, did you tweet yourself? Oh, yeah, I tweet a lot. At Jillian Armanante? Yeah, uh, Jill Armanante. I, it, there's, it, I have too many letters in my name to okay. actually have my name. But the Kittens in a Cage tweets as well. Um, but check out the Kittens website because there's a lot of, that's the, the beefy website with all the gallery shots and video and all that i want to thank you for coming on and people uh, follow me follow me on twitter at cooper talk that's at cooper talk also go to my website coopertalk.net i have over 415 episodes up there email me cooper at coopertalk.net itunes stitcher cooper talk and uh yeah i tweet a lot and don't forget my other website stopthesalt.com remember when i got out of the hospital with my uh bad heart changed my diet so you can get a great cookbook 120 recipes low sodium very easy to make 
no pictures because you get intimidated. No long list of ingredients. You know, if you don't have cumin, don't worry about it. I cook with cumin, but I'm, I cook a lot. I cook so, with cumin. It's great. So I go to stopthesalt.com. You can get it at Amazon or you can get it at Barnes & Noble. But get it from my website because I make more money. And what I'll do is I'll sign it. I'll even sign it. I'm not selling a lot of this book, and it, it, it helps you a lot. So it's easy. So go to stopthesalt.com. Remember, go to kittensinacage.com. Go to coopertalk.net and follow me on Cooper at coopertalk on Twitter. Steve Cooper, Molly's Tip is my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'll talk to you guys next week.